Hello. Hi. Greetings. Hi. Um, okay. Before we jump into that, I'm going to give a couple quick things from announcements. Um, Jerisich Park has a Christmas tree that's giant. Every year it confuses me because I'm like, where did that giant tree come from? Then they take it down again. So that's the place where it's at. Be confused. Um, another thing. The Thrive Christmas Formal. So this year Thrive Kitsap is hosting it. So yes, it's at Peninsula Bible Fellowship. It's at 7 o'clock. Um, we're doing fancy hors d'oeuvres. So bring your favorite fancy hors d'oeuvre to share. That just means like fancy finger food. We're trying to be cool. Um, and so that's, that's a food thing. Yes, there will be dancing. Yes, there will be some Christmas caroling, singing kinds of stuff. And then uh, also there's going to be a like fanciest dressed contest thing. I'm not in charge of running that part, so I don't know how they're gonna do that. But if you want to compete in the fanciest dressed thing, you can do that. So boom, that's the things about that event, and it's going to be lovely. See, dancing, music, yeah, yeah, we're good. Awesome. Okay. Um, so I'm really excited about this series you guys have been doing. And the last time I was here, uh, it was in Leviticus. So you guys have progressed quite a bit. And uh, I'm excited that you're in the New Testament. I really like just the way it's been organized. And yeah, I just think it's really cool. So that's fun. Um, one of the interesting things, though, about tonight is we're not looking at a specific story, but rather we're overviewing two different chapters. And so I've selected a few texts from that. And I told Michael which ones I was looking at. So I'm assuming that's what you can see, unless it's just chapters 8 and 9. Is it just 8 and 9 in your things? Or is it like a couple different stories? Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, uh, since I told Michael that, I added at least one more. So it's okay. You can just like take a pen or like your phone and write it down too. Or just know it'll be in chapters 8 and 9. Um, but as we jump into the miracles, I just wanted to like take a moment and um, just think about it. For one, as I was getting ready and getting prepared for this, I realized... This is a pretty uncomfortable topic for me. Not uncomfortable in the sense that like, um, oh, I'm really uncomfortable by the fact that miracles exist, but rather this is a really weighty topic and it's exciting. It's also like a joyful thing, um, but I'm coming into it feeling a little bit just recognizing that God is awesome and God is big and if there's nothing else that you get from tonight. The point of miracles is to stand in awe of God. Miracles point to Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is God, and that God is the creator of all things. And so, if you hear nothing else tonight, just take the time to stand or sit in awe of God. So with that, I'm just going to go ahead and pray again. God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you so much for your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you are the creator of all things, God. Thank you, Lord, that you stand outside of time and you care for little old us. God, today we just reflect on your bigness and your glory. Um, yeah, and even in this Christmas season, we just remember that one of the greatest miracles is the fact that you sent your own son to us. God, I ask that you would just help us to um, put away all the distractions tonight, help us to just focus on you, and yeah, Lord, I pray that you just speak to us through your word. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So what are miracles? Any ideas out there? Yeah, Stephen. 
So things that typically happen outside of normal logic. So you might say unexpected kinds of things. Anyone else want to add to that? God. <laughs> yes? Um, anything else you want to say on that? <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. Things that happen because God did the things. Yes. Good addition. Okay. Um, I kind of said this already, but what do you think the purpose of miracles is? Yeah. To see God in your life. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think in my own life, the way that I've seen miracles play out is there's kind of a couple different ways, right? So sometimes there's things that happen that are very provisional. It's like, if God doesn't show up in this situation, then I don't know how we're going to continue. Like, maybe it's a financial thing. Like, uh, oh no, I think we're running out of money. If God doesn't show up in radical ways, then we have no hope in this financial situation. And then just God shows up. So there's those kinds of situations. There's also protection things. Um, maybe you miss a flight or get in a different car or are late or are early and you realize that, oh, if I hadn't done that thing, there's a very good chance I would have gotten severely hurt or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, one of the, another miracle is sometimes God keeping cars continuing to drive. Um, when Emily and I were, when I was going to Western, we took a spring break trip with a bunch of friends to Canada because we were like, yeah, we're young and we go to Thrive and we should all go to Canada in my parents' van that they just fixed. That's a great idea. It has a new engine. It works great. Didn't have a new transmission. Um, and so I went up there and I lost my parents' business credit card, which was a great idea, and my wallet. Um, so I couldn't drive anymore. And um, on the way back, the transmission died and we prayed the car home from Bellingham through Issaquah and to my parents' driveway where the car sat for another like year. Um, and that, I honestly say, that was a miracle that we got home. Like, it was insane. Um, but people come to God with um, four miracles in kind of different situations, right? Um, some, lots of times, and especially in the text we're going to look at tonight, people come to God out of desperation. Desperation is something that drives people to ask God and seek God for a miracle. Another thing that you see, especially in the book of Matthew, is that some people are asking God for a sign. And a sign is sometimes the same thing as a miracle, but sometimes different. But frequently in the book of Matthew, what happens is that people are asking God to um, prove who he is by showing them a sign or a miracle. Now, um, some of them have bad motives in, in Matthew, and um, that's actually the Pharisees or the Sadducees trying to be like, hey, if you're really the son of God, do this thing. And usually Jesus does something completely unexpected to even, even further prove that he is the son of God. Um, but desperation is something that drives people to seek miracles. Um, provoking Jesus in the book of Matthew is another thing that pe drives people to like um, seek miracles, I guess. Um, but ultimately, when miracles do happen, I'm just going to drive this home again. The point is to bring glory to God. Yeah, and as we start and as we continue, I just want to pause and um, ask you to consider this question kind of in the back of your mind. When has been a situation in your own life when you've desperately needed a miracle? When has been a situation in your own life when you've desperately needed a miracle? And what happened? How did God answer that? Or are you still waiting for God to answer that? Maybe that's something you talk about in your small groups. Maybe that's something you just think about um, over the next couple of days, but... Let's go ahead and dive into the Word of God now. So the first thing we're going to look at is Matthew 8. Oh, I took the words out. There we go.
Boom. Matthew 8, uh, verses 23 through 27. So this is um, in the, yeah, Matthew 8, 23 through 27. Then he, being Jesus, got in the boat with, and got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came upon the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Talk about time to take a nap. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So what do we learn from this passage? We learn that Jesus has the power over the elements, over the physical world. He calms a storm. What's interesting here is the um, interaction that happens between his disciples. Um... So they get into the boat, and Jesus immediately takes a nap. And I don't know if you've been that tired, but over this last week, I've definitely felt that tired. Um, we've had sick kids at home, and so trying to get sleep has been very, very difficult. And it seems like it's only like in half an hour increments and stuff like that. So I understand Jesus in this moment. That it's like, okay, everyone's away. It's just me and my, my group. I'm just going to take a nap while we're chilling here. So he sleeps, and the crazy storm happens. But the disciples, they freak out. They say, Lord, we're going to round. You see, they were desperate. They wanted protection. They needed Jesus to come through because they were afraid that they were going to die. And yet his response to them is, you of little faith. Now notice that he doesn't say that you don't have any faith. He just says that their faith is small. Why were you so afraid? Where is their hope in that situation? Where was their, um, their hope was it in Jesus? Was it in safety? He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. One of the cool things about this passage is that Jesus is showing um, in the fact that he has the power over the wind and the waves and the elements of the world, um, he's showing that he is greater than all the other um, perceived forces of power in that region. Um, it's not just a, um, it's almost like a moment of, I am the supreme deity. There is no other deity. There's other people who believe that the wind and the waves are controlled by these other deities, but I am the supreme God. So even though it's just his disciples that see it, there's a, a hearkening back to Old Testament ideas of um, God being the supreme God over all others. And I want to go ahead and jump back to um, actually Psalm 8 and read a quick passage that really is looking forward to Jesus. So this is Psalm 8. What, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. Because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks, of the, all flocks and herds and beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all that swims the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
Jesus is more powerful than all of the things in the earth. And I'm also going to read a quick passage from Psalm 18. And this is, this, this is a short excerpt from a super long psalm. You should read the whole chapter of Psalm 18. It's pretty great. But um, from, starting from verse 7. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled. I'm actually going to start actually in 6. Jump up. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. Doesn't this sound like the disciples shaking in the boat? The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire from his, came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. The dark rain clouds of the sky, out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemies, great bolts of lightnings and routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast from your nostrils. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Now I read that passage because um, it just really shows how Jesus so in, the, in this passage, we had a picture of God in his might and in his glory coming and subduing all the things, and it's a really dramatic picture. Um, but in this passage with the disciples in the boat, we see Jesus calmly saying, that power is power that I have access to. And yet all I have to do is rebuke the wind and the waves, and they go, grow calm. Now the point of this first passage is that Jesus has the power over nature. All of the elements. Jesus has the power over all of the physical world. So let's go ahead and jump into our next passage. Now this is the passage that I didn't give you yet, and yes, it's out of order in the book of Matthew and in these two sections. So uh, this is Matthew 9, 18 through 26. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. If I just touch his cloak. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. Her faith compared to the disciples' faith is pretty intense, as is the ruler's daughter, who I believe other books says his name is Jairus. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players in the noisy crowd, he said, Go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And the crowds had been put out, after the crowds had been put outside, he went in, took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread throughout all that region. In this passage, we see that Jesus has power over physical ailments, and Jesus has power over death. Jesus has power over death. And what's interesting um, is that this story of the girl who's passed away, when you read the prophets, specifically, um, I think it's First and Second Samuel, 
or first and second Kings is totally Kings. Um, you see Elijah and Elisha. And what's interesting when you compare Elijah and Elisha specifically is that Elisha does all the same things that Elijah does, but like twice as much. He literally in the scriptures gets a double mantle and a double, double portion of what Elijah had. But then we see Jesus performing all these miracles. And a bunch of these miracles are mirrors from the Old Testament. Jesus is the better Elijah. Jesus is the better Moses. But it's cool to see that here's another situation um, where we see a picture from the Old Testament pointing forward to Jesus. And so it's really cool just to see that Jesus did the same kind of healing that we see in the Old Testament, but more and better and longer lasting. Jesus has the power over death, and Jesus has the power over um, our broken bodies. Okay, now we're going to look at the last passage, which is Matthew 9, um, 1 through 8. Jesus heals a paralytic. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. That'd be Copernicus. Um, Capernaum, not Copernicus. That's a dude from the whatever, science. Okay, we can talk about that later. Some men brought him to a paralytic, lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, I just want to point that out. Knowing their thoughts. Jesus didn't hear them. He knew what they were thinking. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who has given such authority to men. So in this passage, again, we see that Jesus has the power over the brokenness in our physical bodies. And all of our bodies experience physical brokenness. And we really do need God's healing power for that. But yeah, that's not the first thing Jesus says to this man. He says, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Perhaps the greater miracle in this is not that Jesus can heal this guy's broken physical body but that Jesus can heal this guy's heart. God doesn't just care about healing our physical bodies, which he does care about. And in glory, all of our physical ailments will be gone and gone forever. But God also cares about getting us there. God cares about healing our hearts. That was the whole mission of Jesus on earth. To be able to provide a way for us to get to him. He came to heal. Jesus has power over sin. And I just think it's hilarious that in this passage, he said he knew what they were thinking, and he responded to their thoughts, not just what they said. And I think it's also super important to see what the crowd did. The crowds were filled with awe, and they praised God. And again, I think that's a question for us. When we see God move, when we see God act, when we see God intervene in this world, how do we respond? Do we praise God? Do we hold on to that? That's why I really like the picture in the Old Testament, when they would build altars of remembrance. 
This is what God did. See this statue, this uh, structure of rocks, this altar? This is what God did. This is what these rocks mean. Things that remind us to remember. We need to stand in awe of God. Okay, I'm going to read one last passage, and then we'll wrap things up here. So Jesus, and this is the, the end of nine, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. At the end of this passage, which summarizes a whole bunch of different miracles, what does Jesus do? It talks about, uh, talks about that he was traveling around, and his goal was to teach in their synagogues, to preach the good news that Jesus has come, to bring them back into relationship with God. And the proof of that was the miracles that he did that pointed back to God. So what is the point of miracles? To bring glory to God, that people might know God, might have restored relationship with him. So as we continue into tonight, and as we continue into small groups, I guess the thing that I really want us to take with us is stand in awe of God. The point of miracles is to praise God. And I think it's really cool that teaching and preaching the good news is a part of this um, whole healing and miraculous stuff. And I hope, though, that in all of this, that your, um, your hope and your faith would continue to grow. Um, I think miracles are great things. And um, in all of this, I don't want to in any way downplay the miraculous power of God. Um, and yeah, I hope that we continue to seek God moving in radical, amazing ways in our lives and keep pressing into him and praying that he would save us and do crazy things. We need God to move. But in all of that, the biggest miracle is that God cares for you and that he sent his son and that you can be restored to right relationship with God. Okay, let's pray. God, thank you so much for um, your word. Thank you, God, that you astound us with miracles. Thank you, God, that you care for each of us. Um, you care that we get to know you. Lord, I ask that you would open our eyes to the miracles that you are performing all around us. Lord, we want to see your face Lord, we want to be filled with greater faith. And Lord, we want to just stare at you and stand in awe of you. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for how you care for each and every one of us. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.